This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, with wins by the Nighthawks and Swarm, the East just got a little bit tighter. Christian Del Bianco is rising up the ranks of top goaltenders in the National Lacrosse League. Josh Byrne is one of the top favorites for Rookie of the Year, and he's really having a lot of fun. And with the trade deadline a month away, we just got our first blockbuster. All that and more on OTCB. What's going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you, as always, for stopping by. If you want to get hold of me here at the show, you can. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Twitter was a very hot and spicy place over the weekend as we had some incredible lacrosse games with some big outcomes and some big implications on the standings as well. Saskatchewan getting brought back down to earth with a 16-11 loss to Rochester. The Mammoth, a big road win, stopping a two-game losing streak in New England. Calgary continues to roll. They got their third straight win uh, with a 20-12 victory over Vancouver. And the Toronto Rock, an overtime loss to the Georgia Swarm. 14-13 in overtime. Those were your games on the weekend. And there's just three games on the schedule this weekend. Rochester at Buffalo, Calgary at Saskatchewan, and New England at Vancouver. So we get a bit of a break, slowing things down as we move into the second half of the National Lacrosse League season. And if you look at the standings in the East, oh my goodness. Two and a half games separates first from fifth. And the way Georgia and Rochester are playing right now, they're starting to find their groove. Jordan Hall's back for the Swarm. They got Chad Tutton back. They looked very, very good over the weekend. That 14-13 win was a huge moment for the Georgia Swarm as they were able to kind of stop a bit of the bleeding, get some confidence back in that group, and with it, Moved just a half game back of the New England Black Wolves and the closeness and familiarity between these two clubs got a little bit more as of Tuesday. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But on the other side of the Nash Lacrosse League, the loss by the rush at the hands of the Nighthawks kind of brings them back a little bit closer to the Colorado Mammoth, who are just now two games back, and they have two games in hand. But what could be the surprising story in the West right now is the Calgary Roughnecks on a three-game win streak, and Christian Del Bianco has been a big part of that, but their defense is playing really good ball right now. Their offense is starting to find their groove. Tyler Digby got back in the lineup after missing some games, and that was partially due to the suspension being served by Dane Doby. And many people thought that was going to hamper the Calgary output, but it didn't as they put up 20. But that game was full of players contributing on many levels. And when you look at that roster, and we often wonder, when is this Calgary team going to break out? Well, It just happened to take a day where Dane Doby got the night off 
for people to kind of break out of their shell. Berg, seven points. Dixon, seven. Holden Katoni with a game-high 11. Tyler Pace had five. So often people look just on the surface. Oh, well, Dane Doby's out of the lineup. Calgary's going to struggle. Well, it didn't because it allowed other players to shine, get them more floor time, contribute a little bit more, do some things that they don't normally get to when the lineup is, say, more full. But the contributions from that group offensively was incredible that night. And at the other end, Christian Del Bianco, 48 saves on 60 shots. He is starting to find his groove. And he is now the bona fide starter for the Calgary Roughnecks. You can bank on that one. And this three-game winning streak has Calgary in a great spot. They're three and a half games back of Saskatchewan, a game and a half back of second-place Colorado. They're also three and a half games ahead of Vancouver, and that's huge. Gives them a little cushion, and they don't have to keep looking over their shoulder as much. And that's kind of how things settled after week 11 in the National Lacrosse League. Adam Jones is still your leading scorer on 59 points, followed by Robert Church and Mark Matthews of the Rush. Then Dane Smith, Rob Hellier, Joe Rezateritz. Those are your top six. And it's probably the closest scoring race we've had in the National Lacrosse League in some time. No one's really running away with things. And it's exciting. I'm enjoying it. Ben McIntosh, your goal-scoring leader with 28. Mark Matthews leading an assist with 47. But when you look at goaltenders, the name that's at the top for goals against and for save percentage is none other than Christian Del Bianco. Now, sure, he's played almost two, 300 minutes less than a guy like Matt Vince, just under 200 less than Dylan Ward. But he's allowing 10 goals against a game. He has a .806 save percentage and a massive reason why Calgary is on a three-game run and climbing themselves back into the hunt even for second place in the West. And who knows? Maybe even higher. But we've talked about over the years how Goaltenders take time to mature and to get into the process and the comfortability of the National Lacrosse League. And Christian Christian Dobianco has done just that. He had to sit behind Mike Poulin and Frankie Shiliano his first year. Second year, had to sit behind Frankie for pretty much the whole year. And this year, he started on the bench, had to watch Frankie again, and didn't... You know, didn't sulk, didn't demand a trade, didn't get all high and mighty and just, you know, get an ego about him. He just went about his business. Was first on the floor taking shots for, for the players. Stayed extra late for players to get some more shots. Was always there supporting, frankly. And now it's his turn. And what a treat it is to watch him play. Because... 
the more confidence he gets, the better he's getting, which kind of makes sense. But there are times, and we have talked about it last week, about his play where there's still some movements where he's a little too aggressive, a little too athletic, and that causes him to let balls slip through his pads. He's taking care of those moments and taking care of those sort of positional flaws as they were. But a very humble kid. Coquitlam born and raised. Still has a year of junior left. Can't legally drink in the United States. And yet is a starting goaltender in the National Cross League. And the way that it's going, expect Frank Shiliano to most likely be a member of the San Diego Seals. Steve Govett, pay attention. I'm sure he is. But Christian and I got a chance to finally catch up uh, late Monday. Just gotten back from work. And the first thing I asked him is how much fun he's having out there. I mean, obviously, anytime you're playing lacrosse, you can't really complain. But it's just awesome that we're kind of catching a bit of wind and the plan is to keep the momentum going. What do you think has been the, the change for you guys? Obviously, you guys are on a bit of a three-game stretch of wins, but you'd lost two games before that. What do you think has been the change for you guys? I think we're just buying into all of it. You know, in early yeah. on, I think it wasn't so much a lack of effort. It just sometimes you're going to try hard and things aren't going to go your way. But we stuck to the process, and it's all paying off at the end. Absolutely. Right and how do, you, how do you feel about your game right now? How's, where's your confidence level? Honestly, like I'm just playing. Like any time you go out there, you control what you can control. And yeah. my biggest thing I'm finding is just enjoy the whole thing. Like it's yeah. so easy to get nervous and get worked up about games. But the fact that like you're playing lacrosse at the highest level possible, like so many guys want to be there. So at the end of the day, you just have to be happy and have fun out there. Absolutely. What did you learn from your time uh, when you were behind Frankie, when you were sitting on the bench as the backup, what did you learn about yourself and about the National Crossing? I mean, I think a big thing I learned is, A, you kind of have to be grateful for when you do get in because mm-hmm. it's not always a given. True. And I think you just see, like, the different walks of guys at different points in their careers. And even you see my first year I had a guy like Mike Poulin who was just, kind of one of the greatest professionals we have in our league. Yeah. And you just see, like, how like how to handle different situations and how to kind of do what you can to help your team win, even Absolutely. if it's not in the net, when it's out of the net, where it's going out there, taking shots early, that kind of thing. Do you, do you take that as, as part of the job? Because I know there are a lot of backups out there that, that don't like being the guy that has to be out there for taking the shots at the start at the end of practice. Are you okay with that? I 100% that's part yeah. of it and I think that's the bigger thing with that is your starter obviously is going to take his reps in practice that's your way of getting your reps in is you be out there early and you're going to get your shots and that's how you're going to get better how much has it helped you in your maturation process having a familiar face like Kurt Miloski on the bench uh, I think it just makes things a little easier and it's yeah. somebody that kind of you can talk to on a personal basis not just a lacrosse kind of thing and just kind of tell them how you're, you're thinking and feeling kind of thing about certain yeah. situations, and it doesn't always have to be that player coach sometimes. 
And how well have you gotten along with uh, Sato? Sato's a beauty back there, obviously. <laughs> Everybody back back on the DN loves him, and I think he's one of those guys that you just want to play for. I think Absolutely. you want to go to war for him. Uh, I was talking with um, Josh Byrne earlier in, on the show, and, and we were talking about you know Rookie of the Year between him and Zach Curry. You see Zach every week. Do you think he's the number one guy of Rookie of the Year? I mean, if you watch some of the things Zach Curry does, it's just mind-bottling. But I think both those guys are having unbelievable first seasons in the league, and I think they're going to have a lot more to come. One of the things that I liked about Josh's story is he decided to go to junior college in the States before the NCAA. You, on the other hand, probably could have gone and played college ball, but you opted not to. Why do you think you made that decision? I think it was just one of those things that it came around and there wasn't really any offers that appealed to me. Yeah. So kind of, it was more of a life decision, not a lacrosse decision to stay up here and work and kind of get life going a bit. And then had a good summer season and the whole NLL opportunity came up and it was just kind of take advantage of it. Does it feel weird still that, you know, you still have years in call or in, in junior ball left and you're playing your third year of the NLL? Uh, it feels weird, but it's definitely, it's kind of goes by fast. I can't believe yeah. that my last year junior right next season. So I just kind of want to enjoy that whole experience and not take it for granted. Absolutely. Is it going to be weird thinking that, yeah, this is my final year with the junior program? It's, it's kind of tough to be honest. Like yeah. it's five years with, in my opinion, the best organization in the country. And I think you're just the best part of it is you're playing with your best friends out there. So I think it doesn't get any better, in my opinion. Your Roughnecks have a big game this weekend against the Saskatchewan Rush in Saskatchewan. A big test for, for your team, but also a big test for you facing one of the most potent offenses in the National Lacrosse What did you learn from that overtime loss that you can use to help you in this game coming up? I think the biggest thing for us is we can play with them. Yeah. And it's just have that confidence and kind of that chip on your shoulder that, you know, what they are an unbelievable team, but so are we, you know. And so I think you look at guys, they have like guys like Benny and Robert Church that kind of I had growing up, those were guys I looked up to. Of course. So I think it's something like it's just a cool experience on that side of things, but we can play with them in my opinion, and I think it's it's up to us to prove that. You guys are slowly catching the Colorado Mammoth for that third spot. You've, you're sort of the second spot in the West. You've created some space between Vancouver. How does the team feeling coming into the second half of the season? I think it's just win. You know, yeah, and that's the biggest thing. Everything, like we're not a victim in the situation. You know, and we control what happens from here. So, putting the work and just take it one game at a time. Are you enjoying the Olympics? Uh, honestly, I haven't been watching too much of it. I'm, I've been packed with work and different stuff with junior practices and all that. So you're busy. busy. Yeah, you are a busy guy off the floor. How's your uh, little hot rod doing? Uh, it's doing good. It's, it's in the way right now. It doesn't like the snow too much. <laughs> cool. but, for for but, those that uh, don't know, what do you have in the garage? What do you got kicking around? Uh, it's a 1971 Cutlass with uh, 461 Cutlass 455 board over that makes about 570 horsepower. I'm sure the neighbors love it when you rev that thing down the engine. Oh, yeah. We try to kind of idle it out of the driveway (laughs) and get it out of the the neighborhood before you kind of step into it. Absolutely. How long have you had that thing? Uh, Probably about two years now. It's kind of took in every dollar I have, but uh, 
wouldn't wouldn't want to put it towards anything else, to be honest. There is Christian Del Bianco of the Calgary Roughnecks, not only a standout goaltender, but a pretty big gearhead. And he has that car just a purring every so often. He gives us a glimpse on Snapchat. And if you are a car guy, that would be a car that you would probably enjoy seeing and driving, I would imagine, because I know I would like to take that puppy for a burn or two. Uh, Thank you to Christian Del Bianco for uh, giving us a few minutes of his busy schedule. Uh, As mentioned, uh, his last game against the Vancouver Stealth made 48 saves on 60 shots and continues to look more and more comfortable between the big pipes of the National Lacrosse League. And at the same time where he's getting comfortable in NLL nets, and you kind of heard me talk about it with him in that interview of how weird or how different it is when he goes back and plays in the smaller junior nets of summer. No wonder he plays so well in the summer because the nets are that much smaller. And he just continues to be an absolute beast between the pipes for the Coquitlam Junior Adnax. This is his last year of junior. You know he'd love to put another Minto Cup under his belt. But it's great to see him finally getting some regular minutes in the National Lacrosse League because we've all been waiting for him to get this shot and waiting for him to become a number one goaltender in the NLL. Sure, he may have a bad game or two, and we're probably going to see Shiliano at some point throughout the rest of the year. That's just the way it goes. But Christian Del Bianco has bided his time, and he is now a number one goaltender in the NLL at the ripe age of 20, and it'll be 21, August 31st, 1997. That's his birthday, but August 31st of this year, he'll turn 21. Perfect time to get another Minto Cup. Turn 21, win a Minto, go for a little road trip. South of the border. No, not Tijuana. Maybe, though. But with Calgary playing so well, Colorado needed to find their groove, and they did uh, a massive road win against New England. Ryan Banesh picked up his 500th National Cross League assist. Stephen Keel with another monster game, a hat trick, three fistfuls of turf taken home with him from the casino. Dylan Ward playing another strong game between the pipes. And this ends a three-game, sorry, a two-game road trip. They get a bye this weekend, and then they have a hellacious back-to-back weekend where they are in Georgia on Friday night, the second, only to have to come right back to play at home against Buffalo on the third. And it's Colorado Pride Day, 303 Day, as they call it. And that is going to be a very tough trip. And if they can come away with two wins on that road trip, it will position them quite well as they move into the latter half of the season. And they only have one more doubleheader on the schedule, and that's at the end of March where they're in Toronto on Friday the 30th and in Rochester on the 31st. I'm super excited Uh, I'm going to be heading back with the team on that trip, so excited to see uh, family and friends in Toronto. And then 
It'll be my first time back to Rochester in almost a decade. So super stoked to get back along the Jenny, have myself a garbage plate. See some of the old Crew Hawk fans. Catch up with some people. Chat with my good friend Ripper on the air probably. Maybe. Who knows? Don't want to take up too much of his airtime. But the Mammoth had to win that game because they couldn't afford to lose three straight going into that bye week. And what's crazy about the bye week, and I think a lot of teams and fans are noticing this, is now that we've extended the season a little bit and we started at the first weekend of December, we are seeing more bye weeks for teams. Colorado, this will be their fourth bye week already. And we're at the halfway point of the season. Now, I can understand because they need to extend the season, more teams coming in, then there'll be more dates. But it's just one of those kind of uh, middle ground seasons where teams are noticing and fans really notice it because it's hard for teams sometimes to get into a rhythm where you're playing good lacrosse and then you get a bye week. It's never easy. We see that in all sports. Teams are playing well, and then the bye week happens. Or uh, um, in the, like in the NHL, they have the mandatory bye week. That it can kind of throw things off. And Colorado put up 19 on New England. A season high for goals four. And now they'll get a break before they do the double against Georgia on the road and at home against Buffalo. And like I said, with Saskatchewan losing to Rochester in unlikely fashion, 16-11, just kind of tightens things up at the top of the NLL West division. So if you're a a fan of the Colorado Mammoth, thumbs up. Because that's a win that was much needed. We got Josh Byrne coming up on the show in a matter of minutes. The Buffalo Bandits rookie is having a standout season. And him and Josh Courier, sorry, Zach Courier, uh, will most likely go down to the wire as 1-1-A Rookie of the Year nominees winners. Truly wouldn't surprise me if they did co-rookies of the year. It wouldn't. I think I tweeted that on Friday night when I was watching the Calgary game because as much as I'm a Josh Byrne fan, I am a growing Zach Courier fan. And just some of the things that he does, and he is always in great positions to find loose balls. So I will ask you this question, and it's a bit of a hot take, if you want to call it that. But Josh Courier's not taking a lot of face-offs for the Calgary Roughnecks because that job generally lands at the hands of Tyler Burton. So what it does is it leaves Zach Courier open to get loose balls. And he is doing a phenomenal job of getting loose balls, so much so that he's leading the National Lacrosse League with 85 loose balls. One more than Jeremy Thompson, three more than fellow rookie Jake Withers. And... Thompson and Withers have taken a crap ton more face-offs than Zach Courier has. So Courier's face-offs are truly out of effort. Now, here's the hot take. 
Would Zach Courier be as dominant or visibly dominant if Tyler Burton wasn't so good at winning faceoffs to a certain spot? Now, I know what you're going to say is Courier's got to do all the work to get there. Burton just puts it in a spot. Courier's still got to get there. Absolutely. I get that. But good faceoff guys will tell their number one ball getter, hey, this is where I'm going to put it. Be ready. And more often than not, Tyler Burton is going to win the draw behind him to where Zach Courier's free. And usually Calgary is going to give themselves an odd number situation on that back line so that Courier can run free and find that loose ball. But man, is he quick to it. And when he gets it, he doesn't make a lot of turnovers with the ball. Seven all year long, which is a crazy stat to think about because of all the times he's running in transition. The number of times where he's pushing the tempo out of the back end or off a faceoff. To have only turned the ball over seven times, as a rookie even, is insane. And Zach Courier is going to be a stud in this league. And it's all going to come down to what the general managers perceive as the better rookie season between Byrne and Courier. And that's truly why I think you might get co-rookies of the year. Because offensively, Byrne is an absolute stud. Leading all NLL rookies in points with 36. Clearly ahead. 15 points ahead of Austin Shanks of the Rochester Nighthawks, who's second. By the way, I swear I heard on the Rochester broadcast the other night that somebody said, somebody from the Nighthawks said, that Austin Shanks was their best right-handed player. Kind of took me off guard when I heard that. Anyway, back to Courier, then back to Byrne. Byrne, offensively, gifted as any 17 goals 19 assists athletically Zach Courier may be even better and just the effort and work that he has to put in because he really is playing both sides of the ball his stats may not be offensively as nice but defensively they're phenomenal as mentioned 85 loose balls 17 caused turnovers he's tied for third behind Latrell Harris and Robert Hope. And last week when we did our, or I did my midseason awards, I said it was going to be burnt, and then I watched the game Friday, and I've changed my mind. It's co-rookies of the year. I'm not going to be ashamed if they do it. I think it would be great because neither of these guys deserves to be left out because both are having phenomenal rookie seasons. But speaking of seasons, how about Latrell Harris? 22 cause turnovers, 58 loose balls, only six turnovers. Couple goals in transition. Including a power play goal and a power play assist. He is still mighty young. Turns 22 in March. The future of this game and the youth in this game right now is awesome. I love it. And I can't wait for two more teams to come in the league. And that's going to happen next year. 
And thanks to the tireless work from Evan Sheminow, who's now, congratulations, Evan, writing for Lax All-Stars, has given us the NLL expansion draft preview and projections. Now, I don't agree with all of his picks. I think there are some other bodies that will be taken other than the ones that he said. But if you want to know what's going to happen with the expansion draft, you need to check out his article on Lax All-Stars. Not only does he break down some of the rules, including once a player, once a team loses a player, they don't get to pull a player off the protected list like we've seen in other expansion drafts in the National Crossing and other sports, which is kind of interesting because a team could lose two players and not protect anybody. And according to Evan, San Diego could stay, could take two players from the same team, which is quite interesting. But what's better and more important of what Evan has done is he's gone through every team and listed the protected, unprotected, and UFAs. Now, his protected list is obviously subjective to him, but he lists the UFAs, which is important because... 99% of all UFAs will be left unprotected. As he mentions in his list, Calgary, probably not going to leave Curtis Dixon unprotected. Would you? I wouldn't. So what he does is he gives who he thinks teams will protect and the resulting unprotected players, as well as listing the UFAs. And there are a lot of interesting names out there especially when you think of geographically where teams are going to be. Philadelphia, Paul Day, probably going to be picking a lot of Eastern-based guys. Makes sense. Steve Govett, San Diego, Western-based. Sure, hasn't made an announcement of a general manager yet. Said he'll do that at the end of the year because some of the people that he would like to for coaching and GM spots could, may well be a part of other programs. Which makes sense. But he is probably going to be bringing in a lot of Western-based guys. And so when you go through the list, even if you just look at rosters in general, just take out all the UFAs, and you think of players that are available, as a general manager of an expansion team, you got to be pretty excited. If we go by what Evan has protected on his lists. Guys like Adrian Sorchetti is out there. Curtis Knight, Jeff Shatler, Marty Dinsdale. I'm going team by team here. Well, not really because I started with S because that's just where he started. Um, But let's just kind of go through some of the lists. Uh, You could see Chris Wardle, Zach Greer, Bryce Sweeting uh, out of Colorado, um, Garrett McIntosh, Ryan Martell. We talked about Frank Shiliano, uh, Steph Charbonneau, a young product that hasn't gotten any NLL action as of yet. Uh, Toronto definitely has some bodies that both San Diego and Philadelphia are going to be interested in. Most notably, Paul Rabel. Now, Paul has been on the Rocks protected list for a while. They haven't really been able to come to terms with him to get him to play. But with more and more Americans showing interest, if he does get picked up by Philly, maybe there is a return. 
of Paul Rabel to Philadelphia. Some other names that could be out there, uh, Adam Bomberry, Mark Cockerton, um, David DeRuscio, Ryan Wagner, Zach Higgins, Chase Fraser is a rookie. And what you have to realize, again, we kind of talked about this, is UFAs won't be protected because they can sign anywhere they want. If a restricted free agent is gonna, isn't going to get protected or re-signed or qualified, then you might see them on an unprotected list. Most likely this expansion draft is going to happen after the season but before free agency opens. So probably late June, early July. And there are so many questions, and each general manager will have to closely keep an eye on his team, figure out the direction that they want to go, and give themselves the best chance moving forward with their protected roster. Again, laxallstars.com, and the first article that's up there is the NLL expansion draft projections by our man Evan Schemenauer. So again, go check it out. It's worth a good uh, read, and of course, you can comment on it. You can tell him that he's crazy. You can tell him that he's a genius. But let me tell you this. It It takes a lot of time to go through all the rosters and data that's out there through the cyberspace of figuring out who's UFAs and who's not. It's not easy. So great job by Evan. Again, Lax All-Stars, you can find that out there um, and you can take it from there. Speaking of Steve Govett, um, Lacrosse Magazine, U.S. Lacrosse Magazine, uh, did a nice job in um, interviewing Steve Govett just to kind of get a pulse of what's going down in San Diego. And he mentioned that he's being contacted by a lot of American players who are showing interest in joining the National Cross League and playing for the San Diego Seals. So he has a feeling that there's going to be a big influx for him. But the thing that kind of stood out the most to me and to a couple other people was his comments about the turf. And this is what he said. Um, A turf is being procured, and it won't necessarily be green like other NLL venues. Team colors are gold, purple, black, and gray. And as Govett says, quote, you can bet we're going to have a hand in something creative, unquote. Now, we've seen... What he's done in Colorado with the turf, with the monster-sized mammoth logo. We've seen New England go with different color end sections. Colorado has it as well. Could we see the first non-green turf in the NLL? What if they played on, like, a purple turf? Or a gold turf? Or... A turf that has a giant logo over the entire thing. Crazy to think about. But when we're talking about Steve Govett and Joe Sy, anything is possible. If you can dream it, I'm sure Steve Govett's thought about it. 
because those two guys like to think outside the box and do things a little differently than other people. So, if you want, check out the article uh, with Lacrosse Ma- or U.S. Lacrosse Magazine. Uh, it's out there on Twitter. I've retweeted it both on Facebook and on Twitter. So you can go and give that article a read as well. I teased a bit of a major trade that had happened, and by now I'm sure you all know of it. Um, But for information's sake, in a month's time, on March 19th, it's the National Lacrosse League trade deadline. And already we're seeing some general managers get on the horn and make some moves. And the biggest move coming today from the Georgia Swarm, who sent Johnny Powis to the New England Black Wolves in exchange for a 2018 second and a 2023rd. No, yeah, a 2023rd. I didn't want to think I was saying like a 2023rd draft pick. Get it? Got it. The 2018 second, a 2023rd, all in exchange for Johnny Powis. Fourth time... Johnny Palace has been traded. Rochester to Vancouver. Vancouver to Minnesota. Minnesota moves to Georgia. From Georgia to Rochester. So I guess that's only three times. I was counting the move as a trade. But he's been traded three times already. He has four Champions Cup and has been traded three times. Unfortunately... For Georgia, they just didn't have a use for a non-serviceable left-hander. Palace had only scored three goals in seven games. None of them were on the power play. Last season, he had 23 goals in 10 games, and eight of them were on the power play. He was averaging 2.3 goals per game and shooting at 32%. This year, he's shooting at 5%. And with the return of Jordan Hall, Palace became expendable. Now, I never thought I would see the trade happen, but those stats don't lie. When you're not playing well and you're not contributing and other people come back and instantly make an impact, just like Jordan Hall did on the weekend... Sometimes you have to force the move. And we all know John Arlotta has no shame in trading players for picks. Now, when you think about it, for Georgia, this is a pretty good deal. They lose Palace, and Georgia now has four picks in the first two rounds of the 2020 draft, four in the first two rounds of the 2019 draft, and five in the first two rounds of the 2018 draft. And all of those picks come before New England's first pick. So when you're trading a player within your division, it's always good to get picks back. More so that when you get those picks back and it gets you chances to pick in front of the team you just traded with. Now, on the other side of the ball, I really don't know what New England is doing because they just brought over Steph LeBlanc. He's working okay with Riley O'Connor and Kevin Buchanan. Seth Oaks hasn't seen a lot. 
and it will be interesting to see how he fits in that offense. Because Palace isn't playing very well. And maybe this trade shakes him up. Maybe it gets him a little bit closer to home and he's a little more comfortable. We kind of saw that when he was away from home in Vancouver, he wasn't that comfortable. Maybe flying and playing for Georgia isn't his thing. But it was his, his thing last year. But apparently, things aren't going so well this year. There is even a possibility, talking to the, some of those that are in the Georgia circles, that Powis could have been dropped from the 20-man active roster. However, Arlotta was able to get two picks. Now, is it a desperation move on the hands of New England, who's 4-4? Four and four? Georgia and Rochester definitely catching them in the standings. And maybe this is a panic move for the Black Wolves. I don't like moving picks when expansion's coming. Those picks are important. And we talked about the picks that Georgia has and how they all come become before New England's picks. So this is what New England's got. Their first pick in the 2018 draft is now in the third round, 28 overall. It has the... 30th pick, the 57th and 70th in the 2019 draft. And in 2020, they draft 18th and then not until the fourth round. And when you're a team struggling, you can never, ever afford to give up picks. It is something that I will always stress. Look at what the successful teams in the NLL right now have done. They have brought in youth. They have used the draft to prepare their teams for the future. And when you trade picks for players, you hurt your team's future. When you trade players for picks, you can build a championship contending team. Georgia did it. The Rush have done it. Buffalo has done it. And look where they are this year. Georgia obviously struggling, but they won it last year based on the fact of all the picks that John Arlotta had procured over the years by trading players. And as much flack as I've given John Arlotta over the years, it's like moving down to Georgia has cleared his head a little bit. And now the, some of the moves that he's making do make sense. And at the same time, a bit of a head-scratcher from New England. Yeah, sure, they needed to boost up and find some scoring on that left side. Lefties are at a commodity. And those two picks are big picks to give up, especially in the division, especially in an expansion year. So Johnny will get his first touch with his team this weekend, funny enough. They're on the coast here out west, taking on the Vancouver Celtics. So Johnny Palace gets a return to the LEC where he won a Minto Cup, spent half a year with the Vancouver Stealth, and will play his first game with his fourth team, the New England Black Wolves. So that's been the first big domino to fall as we move towards the National Lacrosse League trade deadline in a month's time. 
I have heard that there are other general managers already working the phones to try and find a deal that's out there, whether they're buyers or sellers. Playoff team or not, teams are going to try to make moves. The question, do you make a move to try and win now? Or do you make a move and try and win next year or the year down the road? Big picture has to be thought of here sometimes. Because as much as a lot of people saying the Nash Lacrosse League is a win-now league, I'd rather you say, you know what? This isn't our year, but next year's going to be our year. And we're going to prove it to you by moving out some older players and occurring draft picks. Draft picks will save you. It will help you. Bringing in players doesn't always solve the answer. Oftentimes, it can make things worse. But I wish Johnny Palace all the success, one of the still one of the best young talents in the game. He's won more trophies than he's played for teams, and he's been traded three times. Unbelievable. One player I don't see being traded anytime soon is Josh Byrne of the Buffalo Bandits. Uh, The Bandits had this weekend off. Boys enjoyed some time away from the rink. I'm sure they ate at Core Life every day because that's all Dane Smith tweets about and Snapchats about. Nothing wrong with it. But Josh Byrne, as mentioned, leading the National Lacrosse League in rookie scoring and is starting to find his groove, much like Christian Del Bianco. To start the year, the Bandits were a little slow out of the gates. They won their first game but dropped the next two, and people were starting to get worried. They weren't having the best performances from their goaltenders. But now Zach Higgins and Alex Bouquet have found their form a little bit which has settled things down for the offense and the defense. And it's really helped Josh Byrne settle in to the Nash Lacrosse League. He is having a ton of fun. And when he and I cut up, he was just finishing up a lunch and he was enjoying the coolness of Buffalo. Uh, actually, right now, it's not too bad. It's a little bit of rain, but I've definitely seen some colder days before, so... Well, it's uh, better to be inside warm styles like Buffalo Bandits and Banditland. How fun has this four-game winning streak been for you guys? Uh, it's been great. I mean, as you can tell on the floor, um, a lot of guys are smiling, having a good time out there. So uh, it's definitely not complaining right now. Is it a big change from, from maybe earlier on in the season for you guys where you're having some struggles and you weren't winning games as successfully as you wanted to, and now you guys have found your group. What's been the change? Uh, I'd say the chemistry, um, yeah. the chemistry between everybody. You know, it's going to take a little while when you got guys coming in from, from kind of everywhere. We had Derson come in, myself, I'm new, um, Crawford's new, a uh, bunch of guys, a bunch of different pieces coming in. We kind of knew it was going to take a little bit to really click, but um, I'm glad it's finally starting to happen. It was sort of a, a trust-the-process kind of mentality from Troy Cordingly. Uh, how has he been in helping your career develop in the NASA Classic so far? 
he's been great. He just kept pushing me to kind of do my thing and pushing me to confidence and saying, hey, no matter what, the ball's going to go in, just keep going. You're doing the right things out there. And um, I've been really lucky to have him as a coach, so it's, it's been phenomenal. Uh, as people are getting to see your style of play and watch you play, it really looks like you're having fun out there. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, that's kind of my big part of my game and um, is just to have fun and be loose. And uh, if you see me before, or you see me warm up, I'm kind of back and having a good time. To, uh, what? All, yeah. I mean, I'm always kind of joking around having a good time, right? So, I mean, it's Absolutely. part of my play and it's, uh, it's a lot more fun like that, right? So. Absolutely, man. Fun's the way to go. Uh, what's your music that you got in the headphones during warm-up? Ooh, it's, it's honestly, it's a little, it's a little different than most people. Uh, I got, I'm a big Chris Brown fan, so uh, Chris Brown's kind of pumping at all times. Uh, any, anywhere from great, great kind of makes, uh, makes an appearance. Even a little Taylor Swift, a little country comes in too, so uh, yeah. got a bit of a variety. Not so <laughs> well, we you always play with a little swagger out there when you when you're warming up. I remember watching the WA in the summer. You always had uh, a bit of a swag to you. Uh, is that a little Long Island rubbing off on you a little bit? <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's funny you say that because a lot of people that meet me that actually have no idea I'm Canadian. They really think I'm I'm from Long Island. So yeah, yeah. I think that's definitely. That's definitely a little bit of a long island attitude, kind of maybe a bit more in your face than uh, the most. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely can't complain. Um, I, I live in Diamond Turnpike, so. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> um, it's funny <laughs> you talk about that, uh, people confusing you for being from Long Island. I just saw a video of uh, Lyle Thompson thinking that after the first <laughs> couple of games when he was playing with you, he thought you were a Long Island guy. Oh, yeah, no, he. Uh, he had no idea in that. I, 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 I was talking to him about box, I think, one day. And yeah. He was like, what, you play box? I'm like, yeah, I play a style of what? Like, You're from Vancouver? I'm like, yeah, buddy. Come on. <laughs> That's yeah, hilarious. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, yeah he's, he's a great dude. So he's definitely worked a lot this summer. You've created some pretty good bonds, uh, not only in the MLL circle since you started there last year, but uh, this year with the Buffalo Band. It's one guy that people really like in your game, too, is Callum Crawford. How have you two gotten along in your first year with the Bandits together? Uh, really well, obviously. He's obviously one of the guys here. So we kind of bonded right away just from that. Yeah. And um, obviously watching, I've watched him play for so long now that you kind of, you kind of pick up little things. And that's kind of something that I, I pride myself on is uh, I'm not really afraid to take guys' moves. So like, I, I, I like to watch watch the way people do and what they do to succeed. And uh, if you notice, I, I do a little bit of that, that Dane Smith dodge mm-hmm. coming down the alley there. And, going top side and then uh, take a little bit of Callum's Cal- game where he jumps to the air and kind of uh, drops the ball to different places. So I'm kind of taking everybody's game and putting it to my own and trying to make it work. Is it also a bit of a case of not wanting to dive across the cre- crease and land on your knees while you're dr- while you're jumping straight up and down? Uh, not, not not so much. <laughs> uh, usually when I dive to the crease, I try and land on like my shoulder slash uh, like trying to Cushion myself with like my kidney pads, something like that. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it definitely helps. But I mean, I've, I've, I've got that a little bit in my game too. I feel like there's a, there's a time and place for those, and sometimes you get a dive, and sometimes you can kind of you can just stand up and jump. And a lot of people don't really realize that you can just jump right up in the air and <laughs> yeah. that, as long as you don't land. Yeah. So. You, you but, mentioned yeah. uh, your relationship with Warrior. Uh, that's obviously a huge thing, and with New Balance coming in and guys getting you know more personal attention from sponsors, that's got to feel really nice as a player uh, to be aligned with a company like Warrior New Balance that takes care of its athletes. Yeah, of course. I mean, Warrior New Balance, they, they do it the best, right? So um, 
I knew, I mean, dealing with them at Hawks shows that they were, they were awesome people and um, they really do look after the athletes. And uh, right away, they're, they're always, always welcoming and um, always asking my opinion on different things. And especially with this whole work thing going on, we're in the midst of kind of getting my just perfect. And then mm-hmm. once it's perfect, I'll have to work real soon. So, um, they, yeah, they're, they're an awesome brand and they really, they really do take care of their athletes. So. That's one of the cool things I like about what they're doing with the warp because I have one of the, the original series and it's getting more and more personalized. Uh, what's your style of warp that you're looking for? Are you looking one with more width? Are you looking with, with a lower pocket? What's your style of warp uh, that you're getting the guys to work on for you? So for me personally, I'm, I kind of have a weird stick in this. I've been doing my stick since I was like probably eight years old, so I've got a kind of a different style. I, I, I like my sticks have a lot of holes, but then yeah. not a lot of width. I, like, I get to come up pretty smooth. Um, and like kind of when I cradle back, or I'm getting ready to shoot a pass, kind of slides up to like a three spot almost. So it's, it's been kind of hard to kind of replicate that to what, but we're getting there. And it's like, it's getting to the point where it's like, okay, this is like really close. Like, that's what I want. <laughs> um, but like, it's, it's, it's going to be really amazing because once it does get to exactly what I want, like I'm going to have like a bunch of them and just be able to kind of ne- never change my stick. And then once I have something I always use all the time, it's like, man, you're going to get so good with it. And I'm excited. I'm excited a lot. It's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, that's come a long way since the days of having yeah. a tinker with, with your traditionally strung sticks back in the day or even the mesh sticks of, of yeah, having yeah. new shooters. You know, if it's, if it's one millimeter off, it's going to take you maybe 10, 15 minutes just to figure out the right, you know, construction of your shooters and your pocket to make that work. So the evolution of the warp has been phenomenal for the game of lacrosse. Exactly. So that's what – and that, that's, that's kind of what the goal's been, right, is to kind of change the game a little bit, and, and it is. It's, it, it really is. You, you see penalties in it and, and birds mm-hmm. and other sticks, and all these guys have finally found them there with their work and that, like, what they like, and now they're never going to have to change it. I'm sure that they're just going to get better and better because their, their shots are going to be staying every single time, right? So, uh, you, in your rookie season, a uh, fellow rookie, Zach Courier, is having another fantastic season. You guys matched up a couple times, Hofstra. And Princeton, what do you like about his game uh, when you watch him from afar? He's just a horse. Um, yeah. Me, me and Zach, we're, we're pretty we're pretty close. I, I try to text him every once in a while, see how, see how things are going on. Um, he's he's always just been like, whenever I'm playing, I'm like, man, don't let this guy go off. Like, <laughs> he has the ability to take over a game, like whether it's field across, block across, no matter what. Like he somehow has a magnet for the ball, and he's super yeah. athletic on top of that. So when you, you put everything together, he's, he's a really special player. Were you a little surprised to see him drop to number three in, in Calgary? Yeah, I, th- I thought he was going going one. Uh, yeah, personally, because he's like uh, at at this at that point, like um, I mean, I was kind of looking at it. I'm like, well, how often does a guy come around like this that um, mm-hmm. can score, can play defense, can take face off? and do everything extremely well, right? So he's like the full package. I'm, I'm like, well, I, I finished up at three. I was like, what is going on? Like, yeah. I, I had no idea. But no, like Calgary got lucky with that one. So I'm sure they're happy. You were a, a very busy man last year uh, playing the MLL, also with your rookie season in the WA. H- how do you balance a, a full-time lacrosse schedule? Because that's where everybody eventually wants lacrosse to be. We all want to see lacrosse players as full-time athletes and full-time pros. How did you balance the lifestyle of, of playing back east and playing here in BC? Uh, it, was, it was really difficult, actually, because um, well, you don't really realize how much 
not much abuse. You feel your body, right? So even yeah. just like as simple as getting used to the time zone, coming coming out for, or coming from out east, then going back west, like the time is so different. All of a sudden, you're playing at let's say eight o'clock, seven o'clock Vancouver time, and it's really you see, like your body feels like it's ten o'clock, right? So yeah, your right. body's kind of more prone to injury, and it's 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 definitely difficult, but I mean it's it's worth it in the long run, right? So absolutely, it is. Um, we talk about your success both on and off the floor, and, and you worked, did a lot of time uh, at Hofstra, but many people don't know you did a couple years at JUCO as well. Yeah, no, yeah, I uh, spent um, a year at ASA College and then a year at Nassau College as well. What was your decision to, to go to the junior college route before you went to the Div 1? Well, honestly, when I was when I was younger, I didn't really think that I was good enough to play um, Division One, right? So yeah. when I um, got the chance, actually, um, Brandon Goodwin, he's put himself right now. He was actually at ASA at first, and um, when I when I heard that he was there, and like, I had not the best grades going to high school, and he was like, "No, you can come and can play, get your grades up." Blah, blah, blah. I was like, "You know what? I'm in. Let's do it." So yes. um, when when I finally kind of got through it, it was definitely a battle. Like, there's a lot. There's, there's a lot of stories that uh, I didn't even think I was going to make it out of junior college or even get to Hofstra. So there's a, there's a lot of work I had to do. I had to, the one year I could come back and play junior, I had to stay on that. And do, I think I had to take like 26 summer credits over the summer wow. to get to Hofstra. So it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a battle. It was, it was hard, but yeah, it was pretty insane. Why, uh, why Hofstra? Uh, well, this, I'm, I I knew what, what, well, once I was at Nassau. Um, yeah, that's what makes sense. I've always kind of, I've, I've, I, yeah, I've, I've always kind of like watched Hofstra growing up, and um, I knew she was there, and they, they've had some yeah. good Kane, Jay Carr, Torchetti, all of that kind of go through Hofstra. Um, I thought I thought to Seth Kearney, um a little bit, and right away I, I kind of I knew that he was interested in my best, and um, as a person, not only just a lacrosse player, but as a person. Um, and trying to trying to better myself and be more responsible and just kind of change who I who I was. So um, right away there was kind of a really good connection between us and uh, we we really did about that. That's a pretty cool story. Oh yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it's it's cool to see those relationships build from from just lacrosse circles and we see that all the time. And one of the cool things I saw, there's a video of you sending a kid uh, one of your helmets for Christmas and, and the reaction that he had of that it was signed by you. Yeah. Little things like that make make those times in college really special. Exactly, right? So, like, even, like, when I, when I saw it, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at this video, and I'm, I'm all sitting beside me. I'm like, Mom, can you believe that this is actually, like, <laughs> a, a little kid actually this excited that <laughs> that right? like, uh, helmet signed for me. Like, that, like for me, that's... It's, it's such a humbling feeling and such a really cool experience for me personally. And I just, I, I really can, I, I really just didn't know how to feel at the time. It was, yeah, 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 yeah. So your first year in the National Lacrosse League, is that everything you'd expect it would be? No, it, it cool. really isn't. It's, uh, yeah. it's, a lot, it's a lot different. It's a lot different than what I thought it was going to be. I didn't realize how much faster the game is, how much more physical it is. Um, uh, it took me a little while to kind of get used to it. Even I, I, I thought like, I don't know, I thought I thought I was gonna adapt right away and and, yeah. and be ready for it. But and I, I was like, well, if the the nets are big, like why they got small pads? I'm like, I, I should I should be fine. But then I was like, wow, these boys are just that much better. Uh, they understand the angles that much more. Defense pressure is that much harder, and mm-hmm. it makes everything a lot harder. And this is why it's it's the best league in the world, right? So 
Yeah. Um, to really, to really adapt to it and to, to figure everything out it took me it took me a while, and I'm just very happy. I got guys, uh, veteran guys like Dane Smith and Mitch Jones, even on the left side, helped me kind of walk me through some things and be like, you know, like this is what you got to do. You got to open up this way. It's, it's the little things that if you don't do them, then you kind of kind of put yourself in a hole. So, uh, yeah, definitely not what I was expecting, but I'm very happy with it. I'm very excited. We mentioned how great Troy Cordingley's been for you. How good has it been playing with uh, John Tavares as your offensive coach? Yeah, it's uh, it's. <laughs> I mean, it's a dream come true, right? So you got yeah. one of the best players that's ever played the game, um, and that that who is your hand, and he kind of has the same kind of eyes that he's moving. Uh, that's that's all I could really ask for from him, and he has such a different outlook on the game, and to kind of take away little things that he has, and um, to kind of. I'm, I'm, honestly, I watch a lot of film of his too, so it's kind of yeah. how he played too. Like, uh, so when you put everything together, and it's just kind of, it's kind of a team come true. It's really nice. It's great. Big game for you guys this weekend, uh, an I-90 rivalry against Rochester Maddox. who are coming off uh, back-to-back big wins. Those are always fun games uh, to play, and I was in Rochester my first years, and I love playing the Bandits. How fun are those games for you, even though it's your first year, that the, the two cities being so close? Yeah, it's it, it's it's really cool. The cool part for me was even just going to Rochester and seeing how many Bandit fans showed up. Yep. Like it was it was it was it was almost half and half. Like there, yeah, there were times there where it's like all, all of a sudden their guys going to the box and you start hearing the box chant come from our fans. <laughs> like what yeah. is going on? Like, but no, it, it it makes it a really cool rivalry and. Um, uh, of course, even with uh, Billy D going over there with, with playing for Buffalo for so long, it makes it, it makes it that much more kind of um, interesting to see what kind of unfolds. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely it makes things interesting for sure. 36 points in nine games. Uh, your game's really starting to come around now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're, we're, I think you can kind of see me getting better as our offense gets better, right? And yeah. the more the more we mesh, the more we gel, the the more trust there is between everybody. And um, you, you can kind of see, like, oh, like, uh, if if one thing's not working, we'll try something else. And then if, if that's not working, we'll try something else. And then we're, we're very we're very level-headed, too, as well, which is which is kind of nice, something mm-hmm. that um, – that I, that I like personally because like, you can't get too high, you can't get too down. So like even if we're maybe on a four game, a four goal streak, you gotta just kind of be like, hey, boys, we're good. Stick to what we're doing, stick to what we're planning, and carry on, right? So that's good. Dude, it's been a pleasure watching you in your first uh, half of a pro season. Uh, everyone is excited about what you have in future for you. Thanks for giving us some time and uh, good luck this weekend against Rochester and the rest of the way. Awesome, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. There's Josh Byrne of the Buffalo Bandits. Now, I'm going to play you two audio clips that kind of revert back to the two things, two of the things we were talking about in that interview. And one is the relationship between players and fans. And as fans, we know we want to get as close to players as we can. We grow a bond and an attachment with players. And with the National Cross League being so open to the fans with autograph signings and Um, player appearances, and all the things guys do throughout the week, not just in the NLL, but NCAA guys do it, MLL guys do it. And you build that bond, and you can create memories for people that last a lifetime that we never would have thought of. And you heard me talking about the young kid who got a Josh Byrne helmet for Christmas. 
This is the video, the audio from the video. Listen to the kid's excitement when he opens up the gift and realizes what it is. I love that kid's response. It's signed by Josh Bird. If you see the video, it's on Josh's Twitter page. The kid is just absolutely over the moon. And you heard Josh say, it's crazy to think that as athletes, we truly do have a special place in fans' lives and in their hearts. And little gestures like that can go a long way. And at the end of every season, players are inundated with extra gear. And at the start of the next year, they're going to get brand new stuff. So instead of giving it to families or friends, sign it, put it in a box, mail it off to a fan, and make some kid's day that much brighter. The other clip that I'm going to play you is probably even funnier than the young kid opening up the Josh Byrne helmet for Christmas. This is an interview from Lack Sportsnet. And Tyler Eldridge is talking with Lyle Thompson. And they get on the conversation of his relationship with Josh Byrne as they played for the Bayhawks together. And it's true. Lyle thought Josh Byrne was a Long Island kid. Yeah, so I was in, I was still in the, still in season with NLL, just finishing up, um, and you know I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at how the how Chesapeake's doing, how we're how we're gonna be looking this year, and um, his name's the name that keeps popping up, and and um, honestly I didn't know where he was from, and my first game I still didn't, my first couple of games I thought he was from Long Island, just the way he acted and, and the way he carried himself. Um, I didn't know he was a Canadian. I never would have thought it. Never would have thought Josh Byrne was a Canadian. Now, I guess if you listen to Josh talk, he's got a bit of a Long Island drawl. Kind of got a little flair to his combo. And yeah, he's got some swagger. I can kind of see it. But it's just funny thinking that they were teammates and for the first couple of games, Lyle actually thought, that Burner was from the aisle. Great stuff. Uh, thanks to Lack Sportsnet for that little clip, and thanks to Josh Byrne uh, for hopping on the show. Uh, a fantastic young talent who is fitting in really well. Uh, we talked to him about him a bit last week uh, and just how he is sort of modeling his game after Callum Crawford. Obviously, you heard him. He's taking bits of Callum's game, uh, bits of Dane's game, bits of Durston's game, Mitch Jones, and just ever-evolving, and that's a great thing for young kids to understand, and it's something that I'm starting to preach to the midgets that I'm coaching, not actual little people, um, midget age division, that your game is going to change as you get older, so don't focus on just one thing. You have to be an all-round player. Don't just be a guy who wants to fire away from the outside, be able to go underneath, be able to set picks, pass and catch, all those little things, and evolve your game. 
Don't pigeonhole yourself. And Josh Byrne has done a wonderful job at evolving his game to make him multifaceted, multi-dangerous. And if you don't have underneath help and backside help, he is going to cut you and dunk on you non-stop. And it's going to make John Gertler and Randy Mearns very happy to call more and more Josh Byrne goals. One more thing before we get out of here, and that was the debut of another future star who is already a star in the world of lacrosse, and that's the Hulk Nandicoke, who made his Syracuse, nope, made his Albany debut against Syracuse in the NCAA this weekend. Everybody knows how good Dahoka is. Everyone's seen the viral videos of one-handed bouncer between the leg, top corner shovels. Everyone knows that he's had to have a custom cascade helmet made for him because his noggin's so massive. But nobody really knew how he would do when he stepped into the NCAA. We all figured that he would have success. We all figured that, you know, he would put on a show. But five goals, all of different variety from all over the field. Inside shovels, outside bounce shots, overhand rips, dodge moves, splits. The kid can do it all. And that's just one game. And Albany absolutely trounced Syracuse. And Tohoka had five on the night and had an absolutely incredible debut. And there are so many more things to come from him. I truly hope he keeps all four years of his college eligibility. Use them all at Syracuse. Why do I keep wanting to think he went to Syracuse? Using them all with Albany. I don't see him coming out anytime early. Uh, He is just a very humble athlete. uh, A great student athlete, more importantly. And we're just going to have to wait a few more years before we see him in the National Lacrosse League. But you can expect big things from Tohoka Nanakoke out at Albany because he is going to be a rising star. Some think that he'll be a Twarton nominee this year uh, and that he could even break Lyle's NCAA scoring record by the time he's done. And wouldn't that be a fantastic feat? That'll about do it. For another episode of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. Again, Rochester at Buffalo, Calgary at Saskatchewan, New England at Vancouver. All games on Saturday, all available on NLL TV. Get your popcorn ready. As we go down the backstretch, it's the second half of the National Lacrosse League season. Again, two and a half games separating first through fifth in the NLL East. Saskatchewan, Colorado, Calgary separated by three and a half, and Vancouver down there at the bottom. One and nine, seven games back. My name's Teddy Jenner at Off the Crossbar is the Twitter handle. Teddy.jenner at gmail.com is the email. Give me a shout out. Let me know. Drop me a line. Always appreciate the chat. Thanks to Christian Del Bianco. And thank you to Josh Byrne. First off, mine. And as always, thank you to you, the avid and loyal listener, for tuning in to another edition 
of the Off the Crossbar podcast. Enjoy the games, everybody. We'll talk to you in a week's time. Be excellent to each other. Thank you.